0: Hey Parker!
1: Hey Carrie, how are you?
0: I'm doing well. And today we have our first musical guest on The Growing Edge, Over the Rhine. I have watched Over the Rhine perform on many occasions
2: and they
1: are luminous. I've listened to their music a lot and I know they're going to light up this show as we take one more stroll on the growing edge of our lives.
0: Welcome to The Growing Edge. I'm Carrie Newcomer.
1: And I'm Parker Palmer
3: and how they live between us and to us and how we live between the
1: words Carrie, you've given me so many gifts and one of the most recent gifts is introducing me to the amazing music of Over the Rhine and two amazing people, Linford Detweiler and Karen Bergquist. Linford, Karen, welcome to The Growing Edge. Thank Thank you, Parker. Parker.
2: Thank you, Carrie. Thank you for having us. Well, uh,
0: to start out, uh, I have to say that it is such a delight to be able to talk um, with Karen and Linford today. Um, Over the Rhine, I I think there may be 19 recordings, studio recordings, there's compilation recordings, there's solo projects. You know, just an incredibly prolific um, musical collaboration. But also, I have to say, as a songwriter, uh, Karen and Lindford have to be two of the most elegant songwriters I've ever encountered. Amen. Um, uh, And as musicians, exquisite. I mean, just kind of hands down inspiring in every way. Uh, And the spirit they bring to their music has, you know, really moved me over the years. So, so the question I'd love to throw out um, as, as we begin our conversation is, how do you see vocation and your work as it's evolved
4: in the world? Well, thank you. Uh, the beginning of the podcast was so beautiful. I felt like I was eavesdropping on a conversation between uh, really good friends. And I love to eavesdrop. I think uh, <laughs> that's a big part of being a writer. Um, But I can jump in and, um, you know, I do see uh, our music as a big part of my life's work. It's been meaningful work. I'm grateful for that. At some point, I think every artist encounters an invitation, and that is um, we work so hard to try to write a beautiful song or to, make a beautiful painting, or um, write that beautiful short story. And um, at some point, we ask ourselves a question, why not just make a beautiful life, or at least try to? And um, the two become a little bit inseparable. And um, I think even in our songwriting workshops, it's uh, become less and less about Um, what are some tricks that might help you write a good song, although we'll share everything that we think might be helpful. But the orientation becomes more about a way of being in the world. And um, once we get into that way of being, um, the songs will have a way of making themselves known. So, um, yeah, I see it as as a calling. I see it as my life's work. And somehow, my real prayer has just become, um, "Thank you, help me make my life a work of art."
1: Wow, uh, Karen, I, I've read uh, I've read interviews with you, and I'm guessing that those words w- would be pretty close to your heart as well. Am I right about that?
2: Yeah, um, yeah, we 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 track pretty steadily. Uh, Linford and I uh, and um, you know it's it's, I I guess it would be something more to live up to but I do love the quote how you do anything is how you do everything Mm -hmm. and um, I think that that applies here as well and again it's something to live up to to strive for Um, I would be lying if I said, you know, that we didn't have seasons of just feeling like utter failures. And um, I'll let Linford speak to that himself (laughs) 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 if he wants to. Um, But even in those seasons of failure, I'm so grateful to know that, um, regardless of the outcome, I have this thing that means so much to me. I'm fortunate that it happens to have meant something to others but um it is it is what I go back to you know um and it helps me get on track again and that is the songwriting and and um it has it literally pulled me up by my but my my bootstraps uh, more than once
1: mhm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 want to, I want you to know that I appreciate that answer so deeply from both of you because one of the things I've felt about your music is its radical honesty about life, about the human condition. I've, I mean, I've felt the aspiration in it and the acknowledgement of barriers. And, and I speak as a professional melancholic <laughs> so, so when you can you know when you can reach a professional melancholic with something beautiful and lifting because it's honest and it allows me a person who for example has experienced three deep dives into clinical depression to say they know me somehow we've never met i have never seen you perform live but they somehow know me i i think that is the embodiment of what linford started out with that to to, to write beautiful music or to to create beautiful art of any sort, the ultimate aspiration is to live a beautiful life. And beautiful doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean sunshine all the time. It means something rich, organic, and, and deep and searching and often difficult. Um, I, I hope I'm um, expressing my appreciation for what you do adequately. That's incredibly well said. Thank you. Beautiful me
4: increasingly means all of the above <laughs> yeah yeah. 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 Uh, yeah the whole it, range of emotion bright dark uh, it's all of the above
1: yeah i think one of the one of the most important insights of my life has been that perfection or excuse me wholeness does not mean perfection it means embracing your imperfections as part of the whole story um, right. And that, that's a very right. liberating insight. And your music truly, truly yeah. does that for me, and I know it does it for mm-hmm. Carrie as well. I'd love to talk a bit about Betting on the Muse, uh, which I think is a very remarkable song. And I know that Carrie shares that, that feeling too. Um, another golden evening is Dying on the Vine, a rehearsal for the final act when the light that's lost is mine all of this blind, all this blinding beauty has left me no excuse i know the sun is setting who knows where it's heading i'm still betting on the muse another golden evening is dying
3: on the vine a rehearsal for the final act When the light that's lost is mine All this blinding beauty Has left me no excuse I know the sun is setting Who knows where it's heading I'm still betting Betting on the muse
1: Um, you're a lot younger than I am, I'll, I'll soon be 81, but those lines speak to me at my age very, very deeply, and I I wonder if you could just talk a little bit with us about another golden evening is dying on the vine, but nonetheless you're betting on the muse. <laughs> well, I have to give credit uh, where credit is due
4: in terms of the seed of the song. Um, There's a beautiful poem with that title written by Charles Bukowski, and he wrote it, um, I'm assuming, fairly late in his life. And he was thinking out loud about baseball players and how they tend to peak in their careers fairly early in life. Uh, They might get to play through their 30s if they're lucky, and then they sort of have to start thinking about plan B. And he was comparing that to the vocation of a writer and he was suggesting that uh, a writer has a rare opportunity to get better at a craft and to continue to grow over the course of an entire lifetime. Mm -hmm. And um, because of that, he was going to continue uh, betting on the muse. That's kind of a clumsy summary of the poem, but uh, I loved it and wanted to continue the conversation um mm-hmm. and uh i don't know i'm i'm 55 my father uh passed away unexpectedly um back in 2008 and uh karen can tell you that i have been doing some of the math trying to figure out how much time i have left <laughs> and um i Have been given uh, the gift of, you know, recognizing that I won't be here uh, all that long. Mm -hmm. And uh, that has a way of of revealing itself over and over again in the songs. Um, Is the fancy phrase for that, memento mori? uh, Is that the Latin phrase? Remember, remember you're going to die. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a Buddhist phrase about always keeping your death before you, and I think I think that's really important. I, I, we live in a culture that is so um, so focused on youth that even when you say something like "I'm getting older" and I'm at the place where I can see my horizon line now, and that mm. has changed something for me. It 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 has deepened something for me, um, and allowed me to write something like betting on the muse and and the response is oh you're not getting old you know and you know kind of in some ways denying that and i i think it's an important part of what we do as artists that have, are continuing uh, an artistic expression over an entire lifetime to be to be there with what's happening now it was really important to be there when what was happening when i was 19 I had something to say at 19, and she said it in the best way she knew how. Um, oh. and, at, and at 25, and at 35, and at 45. And now, at this point in my life, you probably could not have written Betting on the Muse five years ago. It's what you can write now. And there's something truly beautiful about that. Um, I love the line in it about, I lie, I lie awake and wonder, are these songs or are they prayers? Mm-hmm. Um, you know yeah, and I love that you called it betting on the muse, not believing in the muse, hoping on the muse. It was like, you know, if I'm gonna lay my money down on something i'm 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 putting it down on beauty and art, you know there's just something really great about that phrase. There's a swagger to it, you know.
1: yeah a stack of chips on the red seven you're in you know i'm i'm in the lounge (laughs) at las vegas and here we go i love i too i too love that i used to go down to the
4: abbey of gethsemane um because i was stalking the ghost of thomas merton and uh (laughs) the monks down there um i guess they are invited to um sit quietly on their their grave plots Mm-hmm. and just uh, be still and collect their thoughts and um, sort of with the end in mind. And uh,
1: I always loved that idea of that spiritual exercise. Um, yeah, me too. That's another thing, Linford, that we're going to need to talk about someday. And Karen, I don't know if you... Uh if you stalk Thomas Merton as well, but I, I, I have, (laughs) uh, but we can do another program on stalking, but I just, (laughs) Merton, Merton is somebody I've stalked for years and actually had a chance to spend an afternoon in his hermitage in the woods down there. And, as you know, St. Benedict, the founder of Western monasticism and his rule for the monks, said, daily keep your death your death before your eyes. And I remember at age 18 or 19 when I first read that, I thought, well, that's a little morbid. Um, you know, I'm just 18. But it wasn't too long before I thought, no, that's very life-giving because it allows you to think about what's important, truly, truly important. And your music keeps evoking that for me. Um, Here's another verse from Betting on the Muse. Uh, I guess it's the bridge. You've got to die inside so many times while you're trying to learn to live. You've got to get taken for everything to have anything to give. Um, Those are hard-won lessons, right? And uh, Karen, I just remember the way you sang those lines. Just astonishing, uh, penetrating my heart, and I think the hearts of a lot of people.
3: Thank you. You gotta die inside so many times while you're trying to learn from them. Oh
0: Really. A truly beautiful song. Uh, A truly beautiful song. Um, And it's on your newest album, the uh, Love and Revelation, which is uh, just a stunning album. I, I would love to talk about another song that's on this new album called Broken Angels. And that's one that you wrote, right, Karen?
2: Yeah, I was uh, mostly to blame for that one, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: we,
1: we thank you for it.
3: <laughs> I want to take a break from heartache Drive away from all the tears I cry I'm a wasteland down inside space under heaven in the landscape of a wounded heart I don't know where to start but the wild geese of Mary fused the darkness with a song and a light I've been running from running for so long as their feathers spin Stories. I can still cling to my fears oh, I can't run But they come along And we both disappear Just like all All these broken angels All these tattered wings All these things Come alive
0: in It's one of those songs that you—I don't know if you have particular songs that every time you hear it, it makes you cry, and it's in a good way. and it's, and then every time I listen to it, I go, "Okay, this time I'm not gonna cry, no." And then I get weepy. I never quite make it. Um, but it's—it's a—it's bu- a beautiful song, and there's there's definitely a lot in that song about grief. And loss and what you do with that and
2: what rises up. Yes. Um, yeah, and it's 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 an interesting timeline uh, for that song because often I find I don't know if you feel this way, but often I write to reveal and then as the song evolves, the meaning evolves. And as my life, evolves the same happens and the song carries deeper meanings and and often surprises me um when i was working on that song i had i just had some some beautiful changes i thought and and some ideas and a few lyrics and i went to have um a meal with a friend and um it was just a wonderful conversation with a dear friend of mine, and he wouldn't mind. His name is Phil. And we we were talking about, like you do, we don't do small talk. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, were, um, we were talking about some heavy, heavy topics. And one of which was, was that we had both been personally affected by someone in our lives that had committed suicide. And um, so what, what do you do as the person that's left with that? And how do you, how do you carry that forward? And, and what does that weight look like and feel like? And mm-hmm. so um, that was the conversation. And as I left that meeting, I got into my car and was driving home. And often when I'm driving the something is freed in my mind and I pull over and record something and I was driving and I just thought to myself, Oh, all these, all these broken angels. And I thought, Oh, I got to pull over, <laughs> write that down. Mm, 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 <laughs> so mm, mm, mm. so I, I did. And then I, I got home, I told Linford about it. And, um, And I think the rest of the song was, was finished shortly after that. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh yeah. And the the song, um, yeah, it, it, it carries, it carries a grief, but also I think there was a beauty in the conversation that it was born out of because it was, you know, two people talking about it and sharing their experience and carrying each other through in that, in that way. And so, Yeah, there's a a lot of weight in that song.
1: You know, I think um, everyone involved here in this conversation, um, you and Linford and Carrie and I, we try to do our work, in my case, the writing of prose and some poetry in a way that leaves us pretty vulnerable when we go public with it. When you sing it or when somebody reads my book or hears Carrie's songs, they, it, you know, they. It doesn't take much imagination to know that we're singing out of a deep place in our in our own lives, and often a place of struggle, often a place of of grief. And you, you, in this, in Broken Angels, you talk about the landscape of a wounded heart, and you don't know where to start. So I think the question I really want to ask, which is one I myself would have a hard time answering, so f- forgive me in advance for the question, but how do you hold that vulnerability? How do you understand that vulnerability? How do you work with that vulnerability in yourself? Because in our culture, um, it, it's a, there, there are many places and spaces where it's it's not safe to make yourself vulnerable. And if you make yourself vulnerable in an honest way, it's not even cool. I mean, you know, there's, some, there's show-offy ways, right, of making yourself vulnerable that they're kind of performance, uh, non art, I would think. Um, uh, but, uh, yours is so honest. How does that, how do you hold that? How does that feel?
2: That's a great question. Um, the image that came to my mind was that of someone skating on very fine blades and very thin ice. I mean, I think you can make something beautiful out of it. Um, or you, you can wipe out, you know, (laughs) and there's, you know, but, but when you're vulnerable, especially with an audience and you make a mistake, they breathe a sigh of relief and they love it. And they love you more because they see themselves in that imperfection. So risk taking is such a huge part of what, what we do. And I think, A lot of really beautiful, if I may say, art is born out of real Mm -hmm. risk-taking. And for that reason, it invites the listener in in a way that that is um, scary and welcoming and just all of the things that that listener needs in that Mm -hmm. moment.
1: Mm Yeah.
2: Does that answer your question? It it absolutely
1: does. And... uh, with me, um, I experience everything that you just spoke about, and I actually have come to regard it as part of the the compost of my own life. You know, the the muddiness in which I grow, out of which I can grow. At the same time, when I've written about, for example, three deep dives into clinical depression, I've in as time has gone by, I've felt that the writing about it has created a kind of tailored story that has lost for me the freshness of the original experience. In other words, I wonder sometimes whether I'm really in touch with the way it was because I've told the story in a crafted way. Does does that make any sense? I've never never spoken about this in public, but does that make any sense?
5: Wow! Hmm.
0: Yeah, kind of the crafted version of the story because when you tell the story, you know you're doing something vulnerable. You're sharing something, all the humanness of it. But you do craft it in a way. You create a work of art with it, um, and so some things are left out, and some things are smoothed, and some edges are left ragged. But it is a, a version of the story.
4: And you're you're writing, uh, Parker or a song, um, might be, uh, a safe container for that real raw connection. Yeah, exactly. um, yeah. and it might be a device for, for actually in a healthy way, maybe removing it, mm-hmm. um, and setting it somewhere where it can be looked at and examined. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it is a little less emotional at that point. Um, I think for the person that, experiences it um, it might give them access um, to things they don't have words for Uh, they might have a very raw experience with it Mm -hmm. Um, but you've put it into a safe container Mm
1: -hmm. that's very
4: interesting
0: yeah Yeah, that's yeah and i think one of the things that's really powerful about um, music that is that authentic and, and working with the spectrum of human experience as we do is that I, I think often it does articulate something for others, you know, that they may not have language for it yet, they may not have a container for it yet, and that they're not alone. I so mm-hmm. appreciated, you know, listening to Broken Angels and saying, ah, oh, I, I know that, you know, that, that moment when um, you say, I'm tired of this, I'm t- I want to take a break from heartache for a little while. You know, you know, you, you start out with that brilliant line. I, w- I want to take a break from heartache, but but here it is, and I'm I'm holding it, and I'm holding it with as much grace as I know how, and mm-hmm. um, so there's something really, uh, I think, connecting in an honest, authentic work, you know, beautifully written like that. Yeah, oh.
1: absolutely. It's just a fascinating dance uh, between the musician, the writer, the poet, and and the audience. Um, And as we're all saying, as Carrie just said, you give people you not only give people words for that they didn't have for experiences they didn't know they could talk about, but you you also create a safe space. Uh, for people to say things that they didn't think were even possible to say in public right mm-hmm. if i say this if i acknowledge this if i admit this my life is over everybody's going to think i'm weak or you know
5: yeah.
1: uh, crushed mm-hmm. or i'll never get a job again and so forth and so on so it's a it's a real it's a real tightrope and i really appreciate a chance to explore it a bit there's so much in each of these songs that we could go on and on about but i from Broken Angels and the vulnerability of that song and the vulnerability that we've just been talking about, <laughs> I have this need in me to, to go to the another of your great songs called Meet Me at the Edge of the World, which I think of as, let, let me off this planet, please, at least for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
5: <laughs> <Love
1: me all>. <laughs> <laughs> which is sort of something every I feel every morning when I if I'm stupid enough to check the news.
5: <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, you know. So talk to me a bit about that. You know, this was the these were the lines that really knocked me down toward the end of the song. Here we stand on cold concrete ground because someone said they liked the sound. I mean, I, me- I immediately pictured myself behind a podium or you behind mic uh-huh. up on stage in front of a number of people. I'm thankful that they've hung around. Yes, indeed, i'm I'm totally dependent on my readers for my living, but I'm craving the edge of the world. i I know that feeling so deeply. and then and then <laughs> it, 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 you know, like thank you for coming and please get out of here, you know
5: yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: And then is it time to disappear? Is it time to disappear? Oh, babe can can we just get out of here? You and me love and no one near walk me to the edge of the world. I'm waiting at the edge of the world. I adore those lines and I'd love to hear more about them.
2: Wow. I guess the song was born when we we left the city where we had lived for a long time and, and loved the city. And at some point we just, we knew we just had to, to go and find a, a quiet place with tall trees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We found this old fixer upper and neither of us are handy. So it was a big risk, but we we found this old, old farmhouse and um, it was so quiet. In the morning you could walk out on, on your porch with your cup of coffee and hear the bird song and that was it. And it was such a gift. After the touring life, you know, you know what it's like when you're traveling and the noise and just the constant stimulation. So we were craving that, and we we found this place. And I used to um, walk my my then Great Dane. Um, we had this big speckled Great Dane named Elroy. <laughs> And, uh, whenever I would, I would, we found what was, um, a Tupelo tree on the property. Mm -hmm. Um, and the first thing that happened when we moved to the country was we started recognizing the things around us, the trees, the leaves, the flowers, weeds, we started calling things by their name. Mm-hmm. which is wonderful for mm-hmm. a writer. It's a new tool. We were so mm-hmm. excited to have that. and But it also, it, it just heightened our awareness of our earth, our planet, you know, the ground beneath our feet. And it was so good for us. Um, so I would walk every day with my dog and um, these paths. And uh, there was this t- young tupelo tree that we found along the path. And it was sort of, a thin place do you know what Mm -hmm. i mean by that a a thin Uh place Mm -hmm. and i'd only encountered a couple of those in my lifetime and lo Mm -hmm. and behold we felt like there was one at at this this old farmhouse and along the path and i would i would walk past that tree and it was almost like this old sweet old great dane of mine knew to just pause he never Mm -hmm. pulled me past this spot And I would often get a word or um, a prayer. And one day, this song just tumbled out. Mm. And Mm. um, fortunately, I I always carry something with me to write or record anything, because I always feel like if I don't catch it, somebody else will catch it and make more money with it. So (laughs) I've got to get it.
3: Two below stood against the iron weed, the golden rod that tamed our knee for something other than fear and greed. Meet me
5: at the edge of the
2: I think it was just sort of a hymn to, to this new chapter and to where we were finding ourselves,
5: hmm.
2: not only artistically but, um, I, for lack of a better word, spiritually. It's where it's where mm-hmm. we were, and I owe a lot of gratitude to that that thin place, you know, and and the fact that my dog even recognized it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Linford, I saw you nodding when Karen said a hymn to this new place in life. Can you say more for yourself about that?
4: Yeah, well, I grew up with a lot of those old hymns. And uh, I don't know, I was just kind of along for the ride there. It was a (laughs) good chapter and, you know, one lone tupelo stood, is it beside the ironweed,
1: Against the Um, ironweed.
4: Against the ironweed, sit against the ironweed. That's so much better, Karen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I will say that that realization that we didn't know the names of anything when we moved out there, and then slowly that process of beginning to call things by name, Mm -hmm. there was something incredibly
1: holy about that. Yes, yes, yeah. Again, it brings a a smile to my face. Carrie knows this about me very few people do, but I don't know the names of anything. So, But I like to write about nature, right? My wife, my, my wife fortunately, knows all about nature. She knows the name of everything. So as, <laughs> as Carrie knows, I, I run a piece of, of writing past her about what's going on in the mountains outside of Santa Fe when I hike them in the late spring. And Sharon, my wife, says, Parker this is beautiful writing, but that particular flower doesn't grow in that part of the world and it certainly doesn't grow at that time of year and so, <laughs> and, and, and that, yeah and that purple Thank one you, is not an orchid it's you know <laughs> so I get she, she corrects me all the time.
0: I really love this story now knowing more about what it's connected to uh, is, is really wonderful um, I live w- way out in 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 the woods as well and there's a place along my walk that i it feels like a thin place and i i love to go there uh, but also that idea of naming things of being able to say you know that's a song sparrow and that's the wood thrush and it will only be here another week or so and then it'll be gone until next right. like summer and you know that this is this is the place on the property where the dutchman's britches come up you mm. know but you have to be there for that week because they're there and then they're gone. And um, so there's there's something really beautiful by knowing the names. I feel like I see them more clearly. That I see them as more um, uh, like like friends. And I think I see them more. I actually because I know the name, I'm more likely to hear it. I'm more likely to see it. Um, you so
2: enter into a relationship. Yeah with them
0: right yeah so yeah at a certain point in my life i just really made it part of what i was doing to start really knowing and naming and
4: um, and what an event when one arrives that has an unknown voice
0: yes (laughs) it's like what is that i've never heard that bird before okay Mm -hmm. i have to tell you this quick story Robert, um, my husband, Robert, you've met him. He's kind of a joker, and uh, he knows I love birds. And I'd gotten this uh, iPhone app, um, iBird, you know, and it had all, but it has these digital bird calls on it. So I was sitting there, we're talking with a friend. I go, oh, listen, you know, it's a, no, 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 you know, and oh, that's interesting. That's a so-and-so. And then it's like, wait a minute, what is that? I, I think it might be an emu, <laughs> and, and he was below the porch, and, and he kept pl- he was playing all these different digital bird calls, you know. And once he got to puffin, I was just out of it, you know. <laughs> That's good. That's there's Robert no, for sure. There's no puffin in That's Indiana.
1: Totally, yeah. r- totally, Robert. Well, okay. let me say a word more about Meet Me at the Edge of the World because I want, I want to tell you the line, again, Carrie knows this because we I, I shared it with her when I first heard the song. The line that came to me was actually a line from Thomas Merton that I have always treasured, um, which loops us back, uh, Linford, to our, to our chasing or stalking Merton. He, he, Merton once said, I wish to disappear from the world as an object of interest in order to be present in the world in hiddenness and compassion. Oh. I, wish, I wish to disappear from the world as an object of interest in order to to be present in the world in hiddenness and compassion. And that, that line just knocked me over, and it came rushing back to me out of the ethers when I heard this song. Uh-huh. And I'm just wondering, Linford or Karen, how that understanding resonates with you given the story the real life story we've just heard goodness
4: why doesn't that take the the pressure off this uh this way so many of us creative types are haunted by feelings of inadequacy or um yeah just haunted by this uh idea of failure that karen mentioned and um making it not about being an object of interest, but just being mm-hmm. present and alive in some meaningful way mm-hmm. is, is a much deeper uh, orientation for, for success or, or right. something worthwhile mm-hmm. you know, as opposed mm-hmm. to just re- recognition. And mm-hmm.
2: um, I really love that quote. And I, I don't, I hadn't heard that it makes me want to paint it. On the ceiling, so that when I wake up in the morning, I see that. First. <laughs> because we tend to—that's um, what my dream, by the way, is to have a house with just quotes painted of all the doors, just, be, just so I remember them. But um, <laughs> it's interesting that we have the, these industries that have formed themselves around our work, and you know, with the intention of helping, but often. It's reduced to me- some form of measurement, and it tends to do the opposite mm-hmm. to the you know the writer or the musician mm-hmm. because they they start to see themselves through this false lens, a lens that really doesn't have anything to do with the work they're doing
5: mm-hmm.
2: um, and and yet and yet that's what. We we can actually easily become obsessed with that because it's so present.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: then that yeah. beautiful quote, you know, I'm going to paint that. I think above the door.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll will send it to you. It actually comes off it. of off of one of his tapes. Of you know, he 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 was for a silent monk. He was the noisiest guy I've ever met. I mean, he was he was incessantly verbal, and he he taught the uh, the novices at Gethsemane for a number of years and they taped many of his talks. And so this was a talk, uh, a line from a tape that I was transcribing when I listened to it. So I'll send it to you, and and someday I'll visit you guys and I'll see it on the wall or the doorway or somewhere.
0: I I I I think um, the idea that as artists, we're pulled in two different directions, you know, and I I can't say... How many artists I've met in my life who put out this beautiful, open, vulnerable music, uh, uh, as we try to do, but are deeply private people. Um, some of the most more deeply private people I've met are, are, are writers, and, and yet it's out there. Um, kind of going back to an earlier part of the conversation, in terms of writing about the things you're not supposed to say, I remember years ago. This was years ago, but uh, a therapist, basically, and I was working on some really deep trauma, uh, trauma experiences, saying, "Don't ever tell anyone about this mm-hmm. because you'll never get a job," and you know, just and wow. And so, what did I do? I wrote songs about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, "Let's good for you." I kind of came through a home that you know my my dad was a little more reserved. It was kind of a reserved family, um, but then here you there's this this longing to t- to tell a story in a beautiful way, and so it's like so let's tell the world like all the secrets in a song, in public.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's another yeah, songwriter, uh, Rodney Crowell, who was asked. Uh, is there anything too personal to put into a song? And he thought about it, and he said, uh, not if it rhymes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not if it rhymes. That's
1: really good. good. Yeah, that guy wrote some good rhymes, too. (laughs) And
0: I do want to tell you, uh, Meet Me at the Edge of the World was a really important song. Right after the 2016 election, your album, you know, meet me at the edge of the world. I think it's a double album, but it was one of the only things I could listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was, Gary, it, that's it was, incredible. It was, you know, some instrumental music and and meet me at the end of the world. And because there was something kind of prescient in that song, there was something mm-hmm. a, a a container it was holding um, that really made sense for me. The autumn in Ohio spirals off the edge of the world. It was just, there was something about wanting to stay really engaged, to put my, whatever my contribution, my small work in the world would be, but to stay in it. And at the same time, this, I think I want to just disappear from the world for a little while. It's bruising it's bruising out there right now. So there was there was something really beautiful about they, they put something into language and there's a spirit in this work, in the entire album and in all your work, I think that, ah, there it is. That's the community I think so many of us are longing for. You create a certain kind of community and maybe that's a, a way to talk a little bit about the Nowhere Else Festival because I think part of what you do is create a space a safe space for us to show up and to step in to the music with our own stories uh, but in the Nowhere Else Festival which is a, a festival on that beautiful piece of land that you've been talking about I think it's Memorial Day weekend and you bring all these it's a really interesting uh, blend of music but there's all, it, it all has a certain kind of spirit to it, artists, visual artists, filmmakers creating the kind of community I think a lot of us are longing for. So could you talk just a little bit about the Nowhere Else Festival?
4: Yeah. Community. um, I think we hit the 25 year anniversary of our songwriting adventure and began to think out loud a little bit about the next 25 years and sustainability and It looked really good on paper (laughs) 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 to to think about um, how how could we sleep in our own beds more and maybe convince people to come to us and and, uh, have sort of a creative home base. And uh, so, yeah, we we began restoring a barn, uh, an old barn that was built in the 1870s into what we uh, are hoping to turn into a, a venue for, for music and different sorts of workshops and mm-hmm. storytelling and creativity and all sorts of things. Um, and we began hosting this musical family reunion, uh, inviting people to come in for a weekend and be together. And um, it's, been, uh, it's been a challenge taking on uh, a project of this scale Mm -hmm. But it's also been interesting that um, the word that kept coming back to us uh, about the festival, um, people would say, oh, you know, I I had a great time. It was so healing. Um, Mm -hmm. And that word healing just over and over from so many different uh, angles. Uh, We didn't start a music festival because we thought it would be healing. Mm -hmm. At least that wasn't, you know part of the marketing plan. <laughs> <laughs> right. But then again, how, how could it not be, um, to invite people into a conversation, you know, with music and art and kids running around in a green space. And, um, mm-hmm. so yeah. we're, we're sort of learning as we go and we're still a little bit mm-hmm. overwhelmed by this, uh, this project, but, uh, it's been a, a big part of sort of what we see as the next chapter.
1: It's a beautiful vision. And from what Carrie tells me, a beautiful reality. Um, I've often framed my life work as, as that of creating safe spaces for the soul to show up. And when I- So well said. Uh, instead of the the ego or the intellect or you know those are all valuable things that under certain circumstances but the soul hardly ever has a chance to show up in the spaces created by our society and so <clears throat> there's this powerful countercultural work to be done which you're obviously doing and you know Carrie I think this conversation generates like five more podcasts with uh, Karen and Linford. And and of course, what you said a moment ago, Linford. If healing had been part of your marketing plan, then this wouldn't be healing, right? I mean, that <laughs> it's this it's this it's this kind of um, I don't know this a kind of innocence that you we approach things with in our art. It just comes from somewhere else. It comes from those thin places where the visible and the invisible worlds are connected, and we're we're picking up signals. um.
0: You know, how many times have, I I don't know if this is an experience for you, but I've always written beyond what I know. I'm always writing to my next growing edge. It's what I'm experiencing, but there's always something on what's coming. Um, You may not have known that this was going to be a healing festival, but you're kind of like living your way into it. I don't know if that's been an experience, like, looking back, you know, hindsight being twenty-twenty, it's like, wow, I did this thing and that thing, and I followed this thread and followed that thread, and something in, in me knew to follow that thread, and it kind of turned out in ways I didn't expect, but it turned out in the way it was supposed to. I mean, did, have you ever read
2: that experience?
4: Sure.
2: Yes. Yeah. I I think when we get it right, <clears throat> we are good conduits, and we... Mm-hmm. Get out of the way, (laughs) Mm
5: -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: and then and then allow ourselves to be surprised. Um, Yeah, there's there's something that is so um, self inhibiting about white knuckling it, you know, and Mm -hmm. and um, and yet and yet I'm guilty of it, and it's it's something that you know I think I struggle with, and but when I let go, that's when good things happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that leads us to yep. uh, a final question. I wish it didn't have to be the final question, because this has been an extraordinary conversation for me. And, and I know it has been for Carrie, too, and it will be for our audience. But we, want, we, we wanted to ask you, as we reluctantly close this out, what, what do you see each of you as your current, and alone or together, as your current growing edge? I, I, for me,
4: I think I can jump in and um, more keenly than ever, believe it or not, after thirty years of, of doing this um, i'm I'm back to uh, the the place of the beginner, and sort of an overwhelming uh sense that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> 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 I hate to admit it, but um I have been reading this this Richard Rohr book that a number of people are ta- are talking about. It. I, I think it's called Falling Upward. Is that does that sound right? Mm-hmm. He's thinking out loud about sort of the second half of life. And um I and, and sometimes that failure is uh sort of the necessary stepping stone to something deeper. Um or something that sort of shatters our ego or, um, and I, I don't know. I have, I have a sense. Um, I sort of thought that this, uh, the festival in the barn and this sort of community building with the second part of our lives was maybe the next thing. And um, it may well be, but um, for whatever reason right now, I have the gift of, of not really knowing as much as I thought I did, you know? <laughs> and so I'm sort of, I'm sitting with that and, uh, feeling a little humbled and, and open and, and really asking, is there something about to be revealed about, uh, you know, the next part of my life? And, and, uh, so my, my growing edge is sort of the sense of being a beginner and, um, living with uh, a lot of uh, unknowns. Mm.
0: You know, yeah, I think that's one of the gifts we give as artists, maybe as a model, how we struggle, (laughs) how we step into the unknown again and again. You know, because I know a a lot of people do that in different kinds of ways at different parts of their lives. But being able to say that, you know, here I am at the beginning again, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that I don't know. And I'm I'm learning how to be okay with that. You know, it's it's a real gift. Thank you, Linford. And how about you, Karen?
2: Uh, yeah. I I think I'm living the first line of of broken angels over and over again, <laughs> because I I I really am. I'm so tired of grieving, and yet I know that um, we we don't always get to choose the length of that process or how it manifests and um our country is grieving um some things i believe and i you know lost my uh, a parent i lost my mom this year and the relationship was um the last 18 years of her life i was responsible for her care and it was a lot it took a lot you know um and i I, there's such a a part of me that just thinks, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be done with this now for a while. And the answer keeps coming back. No, you're not, you're going to lean into it and it's going to be hard. And that's, that's just part of it. And you don't necessarily, you know, get to make that decision right now. You just, you have to be faithful with it, lean in. So I, I think that, uh, I have to learn to trust that, and um, and I think that's that's my growing edge right now. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's not very sexy, it's not very um, fun, but I think it's meaningful, and I think I think that's what I've been given, and that's where I am.
1: It's very real, and that's what matters to me and to Carrie, and I think to lots of our of our listeners, we and we just, we hunger for reality these days. I mean, part of the grieving in our nation that you talk about is lies, lies, fictions, nonsense, baloney, uh, sliced a thousand different ways by all kinds of people. Uh, And we we yearn to be real with each other. We yearn to live in a real world, Um, at least Mm. some of us do, you know, fantasy may be fun sometimes, but it ain't a good place to live. Uh, You're going to lose your footing. You're going to fall from great heights. Reality that keeps you on the ground, you can fall like we always do, and then you can get up again because the ground is there to catch you, and you you can get up and fall again and then get up again. So, Thank you guys for being so real. Thank you for translating your reality into gorgeous, gorgeous art that also takes us to that thin place where the visible and the invisible worlds come together and we know that there's more here than meets the eye. That's what your songs keep saying to me. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, and I would really love to um, also just make mention uh, uh, you know, the website. Could you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you know, your music? Where you'll be performing the, the Nowhere Else Festival?
4: Yeah, the band website is overtherine.com. festival website is nowhereelsefestival.com. Come join Thank us on you. the farm.
1: You've been listening to The Growing Edge with Carrie Newcomer and Parker Palmer.
0: Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you'll check out the next episode.
1: And don't forget to visit our website newcomerpalmer.com, Newcomerpalmer.com, so you can join in the conversation too.
0: And now we have a favor to ask. If you like today's show, rate us and leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help us reach new audiences and bring more voices into this conversation.
1: The music you heard on today's show was written by Over the Rhine, uh, Linford Detweiler, and Karen Bergquist, and by our own Carrie Newcomer. And much gratitude to Gary Walters for performing the song, The Clean Edge of Change.
0: And with wild appreciation to Alison Quantz for creative envisioning, direction, production, and because she's over the moon.